0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and thanks for joining us on the Ministry Watch podcast. At Ministry Watch, we bring you the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. And on today's Ministry Watch Extra episode, I'm bringing back to the program a man who is fueling a movement of generosity in this country, Brian Cluth. Ryan has been called America's giving guy because of his work to help Christians become more generous, but he is a man of many parts, you might say. He was in my hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina recently as part of his nationwide Bless Your Pastor Tour, an initiative of the National Association for evangelicals. And over dinner, we started talking about some of the unfortunate scandals that we've been covering here at Ministry Watch. And during that conversation, I was just really impressed by some of the things that Brian had to say about money, sex, and power, especially in the Christian context. And I said, Brian, we've got to have this conversation as part of the podcast. He agreed, and so here we are. But before we begin, a brief biographical note about Brian Cluth. Brian's books and devotionals on generous giving and generous living have sold more than a million copies and have been translated into more than 40 languages. Uh, they're used in about 100 countries. And for the past four years, Brian has been working specifically to get the church to be more generous with its pastor. He's been spearheading the movement I talked about earlier, Bless Your Pastor, that he hopes will reduce pastor burnout, increase job satisfaction on the part of pastors, and create healthy pastors, families, as well as, of course, healthy churches as well. So, Brian, with that, perhaps overly long introduction, welcome back
1: to the program. Great to be back with uh, you and your listeners Warren we did have a nice evening we celebrated our birthdays together and uh, but yeah we did have some uh, good conversation about uh, what I call the you know the three legged stool uh, you know and you let one of those legs go as a leader and you're going down doesn't matter who you are or how big you are there's it's gonna you're gonna tip over. Well, that's right. You, when you mentioned our birthdays, I, I, my birthday's July 11th, and I think yours
0: was the 8th. Is that correct? July 6th, that, July 6th yeah. July 6th. So we were like right there within a week of each other. So it was a great excuse to get together, even though any excuse is a good excuse in my book to get together with you, Brian. But you mentioned this three-legged stool. And um, let me just to provide a little bit of context for our listeners. Uh, let me just say this, and you can add to it, of course. Um, I get asked a lot in my role here at Ministry Watch. Because we're covering scams and scandals and pastors who have fallen and ministry leaders who have made mistakes all the time, and you know people want to make it I think a little more complicated than it is. They they say, well, you know, Warren, what's the real story? You know, what's what's the behind the scenes? You know, what really happened? And I'm like, you know, dude, it's really not that complicated. It's you know, it's money, sex, and power—the world, the flesh, and the devil, the way the Bible puts it. And you know, when we were kind of talking about that the other night, you. Made the observation that yeah, that's true. That's one of the three reasons that cause people to fall. But then you started talking about this three-legged stool that we can sit confidently on that um, that really counteract these um reasons that we fall i mean I, so i talk about the world of flesh and the devil you know money sex and power what are the anecdotes what is that three-legged stool uh, that you, mentioned?
1: you know as i've thought about that taught on that preached on that uh, reflected on that in my own life and the life of others you know and that's what we were talking about that evening was yeah, money sex and power those are the three legs if you break one of those legs you're going to tip over and again no matter who you are but in my heart of hearts so, okay, so money, sex, and power. So money, the antidote is living a truly generous life, honoring God with what, you, whatever you have, all that you have, all that you are, and doing that, and, and through your church and through ministries you care about and helping the needy. So you've got to live a generous life. Otherwise, you're going to live a greedy life. You're either going to live tight-fisted or open-handed. So that's your choice at the end of the day or every day, tight-fisted or open-handed. And, and just to interrupt you there, Brian. I mean,
0: that's a really important distinction. You're either going to live a generous life or a greedy life. And if you're living a greedy life, then the things that you do uh, to get money, to continue to get money, um, you you have a way of rationalizing or justifying in some way because you're getting it, you know, for yourself. That greed or accumulation is the chief end. Whereas whenever you reframe, you know that. Purpose uh, from greedy from greed to generosity, you begin to realize it's all God's money that you're just a temporary steward of it anyway, yeah. and there's no reason to hoard it or accumulate it or go to unethical or even questionable means to acquire
1: it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and uh, but again, that's a choice. You know, we all have to make every day, every week, every month, every year. Uh, are we going to you know live generously, be faithful, help the needy? I, I believe everybody needs to be involved with the needy. Most of us want to, you know, uh, move among the wealthier people among us, and that does lead to greed and want and covetousness. But if you move among the poor, which I, I do in my work in Africa and India and other places of the world, and oh my goodness, I, we live we live like kings and queens. Even the average American is kings and queens. You have electricity and water and a bed to sleep on, and and you're warm in the winter and cool in the summer and yeah, where it's yeah we, we have so much so so much so so that so that living generously is very very vital to the human spirit and to the Christian leader and really relating to people not uh, always of wealth but really relating to people of very limited means and also discover the joy that many of them have uh, some of my my most joy-filled Christians I know make a dollar a day living in Uganda uh, where we go every year so uh, so we talked about that a little bit. Gener- so generosity is kind of the counter to greed-based, you know, money-focused kind of thinking. I always say you can't serve God and money, uh, but you must learn to serve God with money. And so that's why you, you have to learn to be generous and, and practice it. Uh, secondly, we talked about, so money and then sex. In sex, it's really about purity, uh, committing yourself to purity. And I, I've worked with a lot of singles over the years, single adults, and there's tremendous amounts of impurity and immorality, uh, even in the Christian world. I'm just shocked and saddened by uh, many, many that just, you know, move in church circles and Christian circles that uh, are single or single again and, and, and living, living in moral lives. And yet the Bible has such grave cautions for that kind of behavior. Uh, you know, and I can always say if you read the book of Proverbs uh, consistently, you're never going to go have an affair because you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose everything you, you, you valued, your name, your family, whatever you had. It's all lost in, in you know, for a few moments of pleasure. But you really got to commit to purity So purity in marriage and outside of marriage. So if you're single, you need to commit to to purity. And I had to teach singles that, uh, you know, that that I've taught over the years. But even in marriage, purity. uh, Purity in marriage, purity with what you look at, purity with what you read, purity with your activities. Uh, And and like in my journey, I, as a pastor, I did have to, you know, unfortunately get involved with some leaders that uh, they weren't operating in purity in that realm of their life. And I had to get in, you know, and you know, get connected and find out what was going on, and talk with the spouse and with the person and with the board of directors, and you know, some difficult things had to happen. But I discovered that some people weren't operating in purity, or they weren't operating with accountability. I mean, they truly spent their, they spent days and even weeks with nobody really knowing what they were doing or where they were, just that they were out in quote ministry work. And yet uh, in those uh, times, uh, fell and made poor choices and really fell. But you really got to commit to purity. So,
0: yeah, let me, let me just interrupt you there again, Brian. And I, you know, I apologize for these interruptions because you're teaching oh, no. such great sure. stuff here. But, uh, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, we ran into when we were covering the Robbie Zacharias situation. Uh, you know, it's it is uh, it's easy to make Fun of the so-called Billy Graham rule—the rule that they came up with—that uh, became a part of what they called the Modesto Manifesto, where, yeah. where the men in the Billy Graham uh, on the Billy Graham team would not, you know, ride alone with a woman in a car, wouldn't have a meal alone uh, with women, and you know, and and some of that sounds a little uh, anachronistic and antiquated to our modern ears but you know one of the things that it did was it kept them out of trouble for you know more than a half century it kept you know it kept that ministry free from scandal and then you look at you know contrast that with someone unfortunately like Robbie Zacharias which uh, you know who we now know spent long periods of time alone in parts of the world um that um, you know where sex trafficking was common and uh uh, and even today, you know, I find, Brian, that I have to travel a lot and I have to be very intentional about, you know, my behavior and, you know, what I'm doing. And and when I was at the Colson Center, in fact, um, the board of directors imposed upon, uh, and I, I think I can speak freely about this, <laughs> even though I'm no longer with the Colson Center, I basically to you know put some money in the budget so that John Stone Street, the president of the Colson Center, would not have to travel alone. There'd be money there for his wife to travel with him. Yeah. There'd be money for someone else, you know, um when and uh, you know, that again, that sounds um anachronistic. Sometimes it may might even not be terribly efficient financially, but boy, oh boy, uh, are those safeguards important.
1: Yeah, they they really are. And you know, even with my myself and my wife, when I travel, we're committed to uh you know, to being to talking on the phone every morning and praying together uh, and at night we I follow up. And then again, I'm, I'm with her at night and we talk and we pray together. And then during the day when we're together, when we're living together, when we're at home or traveling, we have devotions together every morning and every night. So we open and close our days, inviting God into the into the day and thanking him for his grace in the evening. And just that, the purity of that commitment to have that kind of uh, intentional accountability with my wife. How's your day? What are you doing? Who you been with? <clears throat> Those things are all possible. And I was a pastor. Nobody could meet with me unless it was in the it was scheduled in the book. You know, you couldn't meet with me just randomly somewhere, anywhere. Had to be in the book. Somebody had to be in the building. I had glass doors put in. I always had the door open. They only could meet during hours when other, when people were there. With women, I would meet with a woman one time, and then once I'd hear her story, and then say, okay, here's here's who I want you to go talk to next. And I would normally connect her to a woman. So, you know, I very intentionally had things built into my life and lifestyle that would guard me from falling. Also, you know, I had had an immoral past before I was a Christian, so I, I understood immorality, you know, from teenage years into college, and, and Christ became brand new as a Christian, and God called me to live a life of purity, but I, I knew what impurity was. I knew what immorality was. I thought it was just normal American living, but God had to completely change me yeah
0: well um brian while we're on this i don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail because i want to get on to the power uh we've, the third leg of that still is power and i don't want to talk about that but i do want to just make this observation you know a lot of, you were talking about um uh, in the in the first part of our conversation god's plan for money is generosity and being with those who uh don't be with the poor and really ministering and serving the poor you know and I want you to comment on this observation that I think I'm seeing in evangelicalism is that the young people are very quick to criticize older people um, because they're too wedded to their money, that that, that they're in the power structure, that they 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 hold the positions of power and they pull the levers of of money, and they think that. You know, I think a common critique of young Christians is that older Christians don't care enough about the poor. They don't care enough about the disenfranchised and the marginal.
1: Uh-huh.
0: A lot of times the criticism of older Christians is that question about sex and about morality, that they think even in the church, there are so many Christians that are living immorally, that they are, that they are um, you know, very... Um, um, latitudinarian. They're very loose about homosexuality, for example, and beliefs about same-sex marriage and and maybe even in their own personal lives. Are you seeing this as kind of a generational thing, and is there a, an opportunity here to hold the biblical standard up to both of these generations that say, hey, listen, we've all got blind spots. We've all got things we do well, but we've all got blind spots, too?
1: Yeah, and and uh, and in my lifetime of ministry and serving others, I, I usually try to look for the lies in the culture, uh, or the lies that people are believing, even Christians. And so I know just on the whole area of sexual purity. So I, I was I was teaching a singles ministry to like two to 300 people every Tuesday night in Denver. People came from all over the city, up to two hours drive to be part of this group. And uh, one night I went through and I, I said, here's the 20 reasons I'm hearing it's okay to have sex as an adult Christian. And I said, you know, it doesn't really matter what you think or what I think. What what matters is what God thinks. And for every 20, all the 20 excuses, uh, I have God's word on sex. It's a little flyer I developed. God's word on sex. I have the counter. (laughs) I had scripture to counter every single lie that people believe. And like you just talked about living, lifting up the biblical standard is what we need to always be doing because it's not what we think or feel or where the way the culture operates or the church operates. It's what is the word of God. And and that's where there's life and liberty and true, true freedom uh, is founded in, in loving Christ and following his word.
0: Well, let's move on to the third uh, leg of that stool, because, um, you know, we've talked about money, we've talked about sex. The third one is power, uh, money, sex and power. And you say that the antidote to power
1: is humility. Yeah, humility, uh, really embracing that, uh, that spirit of humility in our life um, is very important. Humility to the word of God. In other words, we're not in the word just for to do make a sermon, get a sermon. We're in the word of God to put ourselves under the lordship and the leadership uh, of Christ and and his word and and doing that devotionally, doing that intentionally. Uh, I've been in the word, you know, every day, morning and night. It's just that's my pattern. Plus, sometimes during the day when I was preaching, uh, the years I was preaching for thirty five thousand days. So whatever since I've been 24, 25, So the word has been in my life every morning and every night devotionally relate, you know, devotionally, my intimacy with Christ has been there for decades. And then, yes, there's been study time and uh, sermon prep. So humility to the word, but then humility to others, uh, you know, a board of directors, uh, humility to your spouse, humility to your colleagues, uh, you know, really trying to learn to operate with a spirit of "we" instead of "me." <laughs> a lot of a lot of "me" operators are out there. You know, I was a CEO for a while and a number of years, and it was about what did I think and what did I want. After every meeting, I would have a decision and I would make a decision, and we would do what I wanted. But when I got into the church world, I had to learn much more. It was a "we" world, and what what, what is it we're going to do? And I I led not from authority and power but from sought to do it from influence and to really create a we culture where we are developing the plan we are working it out it may take a little longer may take you know uh, more effort but over time you you actually have uh, i believe a greater benefit when you operate in humility um so those's just a few thoughts i have on that but when you look at people that have fallen it it was a me a me center world whether it's mcdonald or uh you know just the other day we' were talking yeah. about Mark Driscoll, yeah, Mark Driscoll. James
0: McDonald. By the way, for those who are not remember the Chicago area, yeah, James McDonald. That was
1: a power trip thing. You know, it was all about the me, and and Mark Driscoll was a very me-centered world. Um, um, you know, so there was just that kind, of those kind of dynamics, and when you when you live in that that space and operate that way, it it's uh, things are going to you know, fall apart.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think it's particular, particularly tricky. I, I don't know if it's particularly tricky for Christian leaders, because I'm sure that in the secular world, they have, you know, that, probably a similar version of that. But, you know, one of the things that happens among Christians is that there are gifted people. I mean, you look at someone like a Mark Driscoll or a James McDonald or a Ravi Zacharias, who I knew well over the years and, and really admired and loved him in many ways. Um, they're tremendously gifted. And um, you know, and they're getting affirmed that that giftedness is getting affirmed everywhere they go, and um, especially whenever you're like a traveling and itinerant uh, preacher, like you know Ravi was in particular. You don't have to show up for church on Monday morning, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. everybody shows up for church on Sunday, at least you know Christian leaders do. But pastors have to show up for church on Monday morning and Tuesday morning, and they have to deal with the, you know, the stuff that a lot of times these celebrity preachers don't have to deal with. And um, it's it's hard to um, um, we we don't want to put ourselves in positions where that accountability, where that structure, where those guardrails are in our lives. We want to we want to push them aside. And um, and in fact, even I'm aware, even in the conversation that we're having, you know, you and I are using ourselves and other people that we know as examples of the exempt, you know, of what the way to do it. And it would be very, very simple for very, very easy for even you and I, Brian, in this conversation to say, well, look at us. Aren't we doing it great? You know, when, in fact, um, that's not, I, I don't think that that's what you intended, and surely not what I intend at all. Yeah.
1: No. As leaders, we have to be we have to be careful. I remember when I I've been involved in Africa and memory. My first wife, Sandy, uh, she died went to heaven in 2010 and we started a Sandy House ministry in Uganda. Young girls can go to school. There's a dormitory called the Sandy House and a beautiful, beautiful facility. 124 girls stay there uh, and go to school. Uh, but when we were having the dedication, everybody was thanking me, and all the attention was on me. And I remember, t- you know, I, they were saying, "You did this, and how wonderful!" And I, I, I said, "Well, I didn't do this. I, did, I didn't build this." And oh, you did! And I'm like, "No, no, no!" And I actually got the, I got some of the workers. There were 25 men, African workers, that worked for a year to build the sandy house. And I got three of them up on the platform, and I washed their feet, and I said, "I didn't." i didn't swing a hammer i didn't you know take a paintbrush i didn't hang a door i didn't do anything to build it but these men did i I washed their feet and i I was told later that uh, they had never seen a white man wash uh, african uh, feet uh you know like that and so that was a unique thing and then i got the microphone and i said i said you know keep thanking me but i said do you remember when jesus went to jerusalem on the donkey uh, and I said, you know, there's all this excitement and all this praise and the hallelujahs and the glory and all this happening. I said, do you ever think what the go when that Jesus and the donkey were going down that street, the donkey thought the excitement was about him? <laughs> 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 and I said, Mary Ellen and I are only donkeys for Christ. All the glory, all the credit, all the praise goes to Jesus. He did this. And I said, on our best day, we're only donkeys for Christ. And, and, and that was nine years ago. And, and uh, since then, all correspondence staff Africa, which is weekly, comes to me, Dear Donkey Brian, Dear Donkey Mary. <laughs> and they signed their names Donkey. But we even had now pins made. And I'm going to be doing pastor leader events in Africa. And I'm going to give them a Donkey for Christ pin. Because look, on your very best day, you're a donkey. You know, you're you're not. I mean, you. I mean, in Africa, there, you know, a lot of pastors and bishops are really highly exalted, and you know, that's wonderful. That respect is shown. But you can kind of believe your own breast clippings. (laughs) And at the end of the day, you're a donkey for Christ. And hopefully you're a good donkey. Well, that is
0: a great story, Brian. And it'd be a good story for us to close on here. So let me just uh, kind of reiterate, you know, the world, the flesh and the devil, money, sex and power. The antidotes are generosity, purity and humility. And it's my prayer that uh, after hearing that story, that I will be a donkey for Christ. And maybe <laughs> I'll maybe give you some. <laughs> yeah, you there we go. I'll, I'll get my donkey for Christ pen. That would be great. Well, yeah. listen, Brian, I'm going to uh, have to bring our conversation to a close. Let me just uh, say once again, thanks so much for being on the program today. I really appreciate it very much.
1: Well, I thank you and blessings to all who listen. May they be faithful donkeys for Christ versus being a donkey by another name. Amen, exactly right Well, uh, you can learn more about
0: uh, Brian's uh, uh, Bless Your Pastor uh, program Which is one of the things that he's actively involved with now With the National Association for Evangelicals By going to uh, blessyourpastor.org A couple of quick housekeeping items before we go I'd like to remind you that it's uh, a quick and easy and free way For you to support this program And that is simply to rate this program on your podcast app The more ratings we have, the easier it is for other people to find us online. You can also leave a comment uh, when you give us a rating. I can't respond via the app. There's not a way for two-way communications there, but I do want you to know that I read every single one of the comments, and I find them both encouraging and often really helpful. If you do decide that you'd like to support us financially, let me just remind you that our prayer is that you support your local church first, your ministries that you care about and that you're deeply invested in research second but if in addition to that you want to uh, offer a little bit to us we'd be grateful for that and i would say that this month for a gift of any size we will send you a one year subscription to world magazine as our thank you that's both a digital and a print subscription uh, if you went to world's website that would cost you about a hundred bucks to get an annual subscription but if you go to our website Uh, You can set the price, and uh, we would be glad to honor uh, whatever you feel like God is leading you to give. Uh, Now, of course, uh, we do hope you'll be generous, but there is no minimum gift size. Uh, If you're already a subscriber to World, this is a great way for you to give a gift of World Magazine to a family member, maybe your pastor or a friend. Uh, I'm a big fan of World Magazine. Many of our listeners know that I worked there for a number of years, and we continue uh, to work together on many projects so just go to ministrywatch.com, hit the donate button at the top of the page, and uh, you'll get figure out, you'll be able to see how to do that. The producers for today's program are Rich Rossell and Steve Gandy, and I get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sonnet. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina, along with my very special guest today, Brian Cluth, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.